Um, if I miss some, oh well, I'm a, I'm a substitute. I'm a step in. So fire me. Anyway, um, if you would now, please stand as we read the Bible together, our passage for today, which is First uh, Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. And this is a lot, y'all. As you come to him, a living stone, oh, it went away from me, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, what a... What an incredible honor and privilege it is to approach you, the one true God, the Holy One, the creator and sustainer of all things, you who feel eternity, you in whom the universe is. Help us as we come to this word this morning, this word that you have breathed out through your apostle Peter and preserved for us here in Beckley, West Virginia in December of 2022, that it might apply to our lives, that we might understand, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, we would do the words that we see today. We ask for your help. We expect it and we rejoice in it in Jesus' name. Amen. What a passage this is. I had originally planned on doing at least two messages from this passage, but as I went on, I'm like, I can't separate this. This has to be together. Um, So we'll plow through and and, and get through all the verses today, and I hope that we, we do it at least some justice here. So... We'll start in verse 4, and I don't know why, but I've got no control up here. So, you ready? All right, let's do this. Um, Verses 4 and 5 is where we'll start. Um, That's 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So again, just in those two verses, there's a lot to unpack and we'll, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do what we can. We had left off in verse 3 at the end of last week's passage. uh, 1 Peter 2, 1-3 was last week's passage as we expositorily work our way through this letter, this book of the Bible. And what we saw at the end of last week's passage was Peter commanding the recipients of this letter, the command was to long for the pure spiritual milk. If indeed, he says, they have tasted that the Lord is good. The Lord that is good and that they are to taste and experience is the hymn that we start off with here in verse 4. So the recipients of this letter have tasted that the Lord, the master, their owner, is good. Again, the question was not, is God good? 
God is good. The question is, have you tasted that for yourself? Have you experienced that for yourself? The Lord that is good and that they are to taste and experience is the hymn that we start off here in verse 4. So they have tasted and they have seen and they have experienced that their Lord, God, is good. And who is that Lord? Who is that master? Well, Peter describes him as a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So, who is that? It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's the answer to every Sunday school question ever. It's Jesus, right? (laughs) Who was the rock in the wilderness? It's Jesus. Who died for our sins? Jesus. Who do we love? Jesus. So this hymn here in verse 4, as you come to him, is not just the generic word God, and we'll see why in a minute, but it is specifically the second member of the Godhead, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Who they're coming to here is Jesus, as you come to him. But note that, the Lord is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And that means Jesus is God. And that's something that we really latch on to and celebrate here at Advent season. He came the first time as God in the flesh. He will be returning again as God in the flesh to set up his kingdom. And this Jesus, Peter says, is a living stone. So if anybody ever asks you what Jesus' last name is, it's living stone. Okay? It's not true. It's a descriptor of what he is, not who he is. So, uh, in a minute, you're going to see that we're living stones too. So, your last name is Living Stone. So, um, so Jesus is a living stone. Now, what's that mean? Well, anybody ever seen a stone that was alive? You're like, well, Mick Jagger, right? <laughs> Keith Richards, who just is immortal. We don't. He's a different kind of stone. An actual rock. Rocks don't live or breathe, right? But Jesus is alive, is he not? He is. If he's not, you're dead in your sins. But he is alive. So Peter is starting an analogy here that's going to run for the length of our passage today of a building being built, a spiritual house. He'll say in verse 5 that we are being built into a spiritual house. And this spiritual house, listen, is alive. And so are the stones that make it up. Oh, this is good. And Jesus will be referred to as the cornerstone of this building. Jesus as a living stone is the cornerstone of the building. And we'll get to that in just a sec. But know that this building that is being built is being built with living stones. And Jesus is the foundation of it all. And he is alive. Hence, a living stone. And here in verse 4, we see two opposite opinions of this Jesus, this living stone. We see men's opinion of Jesus, and we see God's opinion of Jesus. And men's opinion of Jesus, it says, this living stone was rejected by men. And I just want to say this Greek word because it's fun to say. Uh, that word rejected is apodokimazo. Yeah. If you're writing that down, no, don't, don't write it down. But, but the word rejected means to be considered bad, wrong, or unfit. So men see Jesus, this stone, and as they're building their building, their dwelling, their lives... When they come to Jesus as a possible stone that is to be used to be built with, they evaluate him, this stone, and they consider him bad. They consider him wrong. They consider him unfit for what they want. So they reject him. They toss him aside. Just another rock on a pile that is useless because it doesn't fit my description of what is good. Jesus doesn't fit my description of what is good, so I'll cast him aside. That rock won't build what I want built. That's what men did with Jesus. But 
There's another opinion in this verse that is expressed about this living stone. But in the sight of God, this living stone is chosen and precious. Aha. Turns out that God is building, man is building, God is building. And as God is building, he chose this stone, this one living stone, seeing the preciousness of that stone of Jesus. Jesus, this living stone, is chosen and precious in the sight of God. And we need to stop and breathe that in for a second. Jesus is chosen by God. God the Son is chosen by God the Father, and I would say, and God the Holy Spirit as well. So don't miss that. Within the Godhead, in eternity past, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Father chose the Son to be this stone, which again we'll see in a bit, is the cornerstone, the foundation of everything that God is building. Chosen and precious. Precious refers to the worth of this stone. Anybody ever have any pet rocks? Huh? And then mom and dad come in like, Why are, what is this rock? We need to get rid of this rock. You can't throw my rock away. That's my pet rock. No, that's a rock. No, that's my pet rock. Jesus was not God's pet rock, but he, but he was precious in the sight of God. Men looked at it and said, nah, nothing special. God said, oh, special, precious. In God's sight, this stone has immense value. This stone is worth much to God. He is indeed precious. Now remember, this verse started with Peter speaking of his readers coming to the Lord, who is Jesus, who is this precious stone, explaining... As you come to him, and now watch this unfold here, because what we just covered was just explaining the living stone. And that was a clause in the middle of what is the main thought. So we started with as you come. Then we saw the living stone and chosen and precious description. But now we come back to the you who were coming to that living stone. So take out the clause, ho, 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 with the living stone stuff in it. And you have this. Can you go to that structured slide? Okay. Because again... Get this straight in your head. What's going on here? Okay. If you take out that clause that we just covered, this is what you have. As you come to him, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. So you come to him, and as you come to him, you are being built as a spiritual house, and you're being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, And you're a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. And those sacrifices are to be acceptable to God. And the only way that are acceptable to God is to be through Jesus Christ. Okay? Because if you just look at those words in a big pile there, it's like spaghetti. It's like, eh, eh. But if you see it like this, it's important to note what's describing what, what's reliant on what. Okay? And I think this is fascinating. Yes, he is the precious living stone, but as you come to him... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, this is really, really, really good. Don't just take my word for it. What's going on here? Listen, God is building. And as he is building, he first and foremost chose the precious living stone that is Christ to build with. He chose Christ. This is the, this is the first, the cornerstone, the, the foundation stone, the most precious stone. And he didn't just choose Christ. He chooses other stones as well. And those stones become precious to him. And we saw here Wednesday night, and if you weren't here Wednesday night, I hate that for you. I really do. Because... This is what we saw in Ephesians 2 Wednesday night was that God did all of this because he loved us. The reasoning for it all was because God loved us. Because God set his love on us before we did anything. 
Before anything happened, before there was creation, God set his love on us in eternity past. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. Why does he love us? Because he loves us. And there is no other reason. Why did God choose you as a living stone to put in his house that he's building? Because he loves you. Oh, well, I must be pretty cool then. No, that ain't why. He did it because he loves you. Well, why does he love me? Because he loves you. And so as, as he's sorting through stones, he sets his love on some of these stones to use in the house that he's building. And those of us who make up the church are among those that God chose. And he didn't just choose us to love us. He chose us because he loves us to build us up into a spiritual house with Christ. He chose the precious living stone that was Christ and he chose us as living stones as well and said, I'm going to build with these. He's not ju- he didn't just choose Christ. He also chose those who would come to trust Jesus as their Savior to build with as well. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You yourselves, like living stones. Do you see the kinship, the favorable comparison to Jesus that these believers are referred to here as? He was a living stone, and you yourselves are like that. You yourselves, along with Jesus, are being built into a spiritual house. And who's doing the building? God, the Almighty, is doing the building. And He is using living stones, starting with Jesus, and including those like Jesus who are living stones as well. And why are they alive? Because they've been given the same resurrection life that Jesus was given. What qualifies anyone to be a living stone? God giving them the resurrection life of Jesus is what qualifies them to be a living stone. And who does he choose? Those whom he set his love on. And who does he set his love on? Those whom he loves. And why does he love them? Because he loves them. This is phenomenal. That's our story. God is using Jesus and his people as living stones, dead things that have life because of the Holy Spirit breathed resurrection power of God seen in his son and in his people to build a spiritual house. And that word house is wonderful. Let's read what it means. It's yogurt. It's oikos. Okay? If you eat the Greek yogurt oikos, you're eating house yogurt. The Greek word for House is oikos. Now, I don't expect you to read all that, okay? But I put it up there for a reason. I'm going to read through it because it has many different meanings. 114 times it's used in the New Testament. 104 times it's translated as house. Household three times. Home twice. At home twice. And miscellaneously three times. It means a house, an inhabited house, a home, any building, whatever, of a palace, the house of God, the tabernacle, any dwelling place of the human body as the abode of demons that possess it, of tents and huts and later the nests, stalls, lairs of animals, the place where one has fixed his residence, one settled abode, oh boy, domicile, which is just fun to say, the inmates of a house, all the persons forming one family, a household, the family of God of the Christian church, of the church of the Old and New Testaments, the church universal. Stock, race, descendants of one. Now that's a lot to consider. And what we've got to do is figure out in light of our passage today, which meaning of house does Peter mean here? God is building a spiritual house. So in looking up these definitions that make up the word oikos, some work and some don't. Now note, this house is not a building as we would think of a building. God is not using living stones to build a structure, okay? A palace, eh, it's just a fancy building, so that's not it either. The house of God, the tabernacle, well, maybe, but not the tent that the Hebrews used during the Exodus, which they called the tabernacle. Any dwelling place, well, let's put a pin in that one. It's not the human body. It's not tents, huts, layers of animals. What is God building? And I love this definition here. 
The place where one has fixed his residence, his settled abode. Now put a pin in that too. We'll come back to it in just a second. And then these last three really work together to give us a good picture of what this building, this home, this house that God is building, it gives us a good picture. Listen, the inmates of a house, all the persons forming one family, a household, the family of God, the Christian church, the church of the Old New Testaments, stock race, and descendants of one. Now that, as we put all that together and we reach back and get those pinned thoughts that we talked about, when we say that God is building a house, He's building a dwelling place. He's building a tabernacle, a place for Him to live, a place for Him to dwell, made up of the members of a household who are the people, family, church of God. Yes, that. That's what God's building. And that's really good. God is building a home where he can dwell in and with his people as a family. And he started with Jesus and continues as he saves people and adopts them into that family. The Son of God and the children of God are being built into the household of God. And why? To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, Peter says. God is assembling His people into a household so that those people would be a holy priesthood. That's magnificent. Peter will talk about this more in later parts of his letters, but here he makes it clear that these living stones are being assembled so that they can be priests, a holy priesthood. Priests minister to God and to God's people. They take the things of God and present them to God's people, and they take the things of God's people and present them to God. And it's communion, not not the table. It's communion to commune with, to be with, to share life with. Priests facilitate interaction with God and people. And here, God is assembling all of his people to equip them to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And look at this, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So listen, God is seeking worshipers and He is bringing those worshipers all together to make them one that they may worship Him as one household. Bringing spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. How are they acceptable to God? When they're presented through Jesus Christ. The original living stone is our entrance into God's presence and our giver of any ability to offer anything acceptable to God. So go back to that structured thought from earlier. Yeah, that one. You come to him. You are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God Through Jesus Christ. Long for the pure spiritual milk. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him. You're being built into a household. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Wow. All of this comes back to doing what we do. Through Jesus Christ. As we come to him. As we long for him and the things of God. And as we do that, as we command our longing to want him, he uses us to build us into a spiritual abode where he will dwell with his people forever, which is where the whole Bible ends. By the way, we'll get there at the end of the message. All of this comes back to doing what we do through Jesus Christ, which is where Peter turns his attention again in the next three verses, verses 6, 7, and 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, 
I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Woof. What a three verses. In these three verses, Peter describes that living stone that is Christ and the reactions to that stone and the effects that those reactions bring about. And he weaves some Old Testament passages into his thoughts to illustrate this and he introduces these thoughts by saying, for it stands in Scripture. Peter refers back to the Old Testament to help show that what he's saying is not just him, but rather the fulfillment of what God has already said hundreds Maybe even a thousand or more years before Peter wrote his letter. His first reference is to Isaiah 28, 16, which says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So there's some wording differences between the Old Testament reference and the New Testament quotation. Things happen in translation, but they mean the same thing. This quote gives credence to Peter calling Jesus a living stone in verse 4, which we looked at today. And this reference here in Isaiah expands on that thought by showing Jesus to not only being a living stone, but also a tested, precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. God was announcing beforehand... In Isaiah, through Isaiah, that he would lay this stone that would be Christ and that Christ would be the foundation of this household of God. And Isaiah is probably 700 plus years before Jesus came. So almost 800 years before Jesus came, God said, I'm going to choose this person that I'm going to send. For whoever believes in him will not be in haste, which Peter translates as will not be put to shame. And then Peter says that those who believe God's promise and so know the worth and soundness of this cornerstone will be honored. That's interesting. Thomas Schreiner explains this as well as anything that I read when he says, quote, Jesus as Christ was honored by the Father at the resurrection So those who trust in him will be honored on the last day, even though presently they are suffering, end of quote. It's another reference of Peter's to the promised future of God's people to encourage them to endure the present. So you will be honored, even though now for a little while you might suffer, which he said to him earlier. So endure because you're going to be honored. Maybe not quite exactly the same way that Christ was honored, but we're going to be honored with the honor that was given to Christ because we're in him and we're with him. But not everybody gets that honor. So the honor is for you who believe, Peter says, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the references here that Peter includes, the first one is Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the second reference is from Isaiah 8, verses 14 to 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken, God said through Isaiah again 700 plus years before Jesus came. The point here being that there will be those who stumble over this living cornerstone. Now we said earlier that Peter's reference to Jesus being rejected by men means that they tossed him aside, deciding he didn't fit their plans. Well, that turns out to their detriment because what they cast aside ended up being what they tripped over. Can I get an amen? Anybody forgot to put that there, fell over it. And God had predicted that it would happen just as such, saying the stone that the builders rejected, the one they didn't believe in that became the cornerstone, ends up to be their offense, and this is all only natural. It's offensive when you decide something or someone is worthless, but they end up getting honored. The old 
the, I don't remember what to call it. It just popped in my head and left. The last draft pick. Mr. Irrelevant, they call him. The last draft pick of the NFL draft. A few of those have worked out. And one team got him. The other 31 teams go, don't. We passed on him and passed on him and passed on him and passed on him. And then he comes back to beat him. He's like, check me out. I'm not Mr. Irrelevant anymore, am I? They stumble over him. And so what happened here is these people cast Jesus aside, doesn't fit my plans, not fit for my building, not good, not what I want. And then they start to go back and oops, they fall over the stone that they cast aside. And turns out that their disbelief was literally disobedience to God's word, which is sin. And Peter says that those rejectors stumbling and disobeying the word go hand in hand as it should be, as they were destined to do. So this is the picture that I get here when I read this and put it all together. Someone seeing the cornerstone, nah, I don't like it, cast it aside, they're offended by it. And I just see them running up to him, living stone, and kicking it as hard as they can. And he didn't move. And they fall as a result of their foolish action. And, Peter says, they do this because it is as they were destined to do. They don't miss that. That phrase is tied to both their stumbling and their disobedience. They were destined to disobey and they were destined to stumble as a result. Does that thought make you stumble? That somebody would be destined to stumble? That somebody would be destined to disobey? That's a little hard to take. Right? I hope it's hard to take. I hope you're not like, yay, I'm glad they were destined to disobey. All of this, the planning... The predicting, the stone, the sons, the sinners. All of this is God's doing. God's will is going to happen. And without doubt, these sinning, rejecting, stumbling individuals are accountable for their arrogance. They're tossing aside the one who was able to save their souls. They're doing what they were destined to do. They're accountable for all of that. Tom Schreiner again says it best. This is a little bit, it's a few sentences, so stay with me. It is imperative that we add immediately another element of the biblical worldview. Biblical writers never exempt human beings from, be, from responsibility, even though they believe God ordains all things. Peter indicted those who crucified Christ, even though the execution was predestined by God himself. It seems fair to conclude, Schreiner goes on to say, that Peter indicted them because in killing the Christ, they carried out their own desires. They were not coerced into crucifying Jesus against their wills. No, in putting him to death, they did just what they wanted to do. Similarly, Peter criticized those who stumble over Christ the cornerstone for their unbelief and disobedience. He did not argue that their unbelief is free from any guilt because it was predestined. He had already emphasized that they chose not to obey him and that they refused to believe in him. Peter articulated a common theme in the scriptures, and please don't miss this. Schreiner goes on to say that human beings are responsible for their sin, and human beings sin willingly. And yet, God controls all events in history. The scriptures do not resolve how those two themes fit together philosophically, though today we would call it a compatibilitist worldview. We must admit, however, that how this fits together logically eludes us. And hence theologians have often fallen prey to the temptation to deny one or the other truth. Why did Peter emphasize the theme of God's sovereignty here? He did so to comfort his readers, assuring them that the evil in the world is not sundered from God's control. God still reigns even over those who oppose him and Peter's readers. End of quote. 
Now that is a lot to wrestle with. So yes, it was their destiny by God's decree to disobey and to stumble. And yes, they did it of their own deciding and willing. Here's, let's bring it down to this. God is sovereign and man is accountable. God is sovereign over all of history. And men are accountable for what they do in that history. God decrees and man does and is responsible for what he does. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Put that in your lunchbox and open it up later. But they aren't the only side of the equation. Praise God. Verses 9 and 10, where we'll finish today. (laughs) But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, let us sing of sovereign grace. Yes, there are those who reject the cornerstone and sin and stumble over him as they were destined to do. But you, Peter writes to these believers and us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. You were called out of darkness and into marvelous light. And those are all amazing, almost unbelievable statements that are definitively true about those who are in Christ. These living stones who are in the family and household of God, which he is building. And why did Peter say that God was building his house earlier? So that to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That was our first verses. And these last verses of our passage today say that it's that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who did all of these things. So that we might praise him to the praise of his glorious grace. That his glory may redound in and through us. His people, his household, his family for all eternity. And as you look at those two verses... Note the passive nature of all these statements in these two verses. God has done it all. It is our destiny by His doing. And while those casting off Jesus did what they did and stumbled as a just consequence, we, these people, these living stones, get grace that God gave freely, which we don't deserve. The only unfair part of God's sovereign plan is Him freely extending His grace to sinners who don't deserve it. The death of Jesus makes it just. But grace is not fair, praise God. You did nothing to be chosen. You did nothing to receive royalty. You did nothing to become holy. You didn't make yourself his own possession. You couldn't find yourself out of darkness. You weren't naturally born God's people. You can't achieve mercy. God did all of those things. God did that. All of it. And you... As his chosen royal holy people, you as his possession get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. His people given his mercy by his doing for his praise and for his glory. That's why salvation has to be of God so that he gets all the glory for it. 
I can't claim any glory for my salvation. I can't claim any responsibility for my salvation. I can't say that I did anything to get my salvation. He did it. Or it didn't get done. And I know that... I know that this is a sticking point for a lot of people, and it was didn't sit well with me for most of my life, if I'm honest. Did God really do it all? Do I not have to do anything? I get that. That's a struggle. Doesn't seem fair, and it's not. grace and grace is not fair and I know that this is a struggle and I know that it that it tears us up inside and sometimes we ask questions that we don't get good answers to and if he chose us why didn't he choose everybody and if, if he could have made it to where everybody went to heaven why wouldn't he do that why would he send people to hell and why would it be their destiny to go to hell because of God's doing if you're not struggling with those questions you're not thinking about this and we're supposed to think strenuously right Girding up your minds for action, immersing yourself in the scriptures and engaging with them, not accusing God, but questioning and saying, I don't get this. And you know what? You're not going to get it all. You know why? Because you're not God. If you get it all figured out, you let me know and I'll worship you. But you're not going to. Salvation belongs to our God. God did that. He's building the house. He's choosing the stones. He's giving dead stones life. And only God can do that. And we have to settle that question before we can taste and see that He's good. Before we can understand that He set His love on us because He loves us. And that as the only moral free agent in the universe, God decided to love us. Not because of anything that we did. And you may say, you know what, y'all talk about this a lot. Is this your pet doctrine? I talk about it a lot because we work through books of the Bible and it's in there a lot. I hope, I don't think I am, I hope I'm not eisegeting this into every passage that we come across. I hope that I'm exegeting, pulling out of the text what the text is saying. And the text says this all the time. No, it's not my pet doctrine, but I like it. I love it. Because he does all the work, I get all the good, and he gets all the glory. Makes it good. Makes him good. And he is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Coming to him. As you come to him. He's building us together with Christ into a spiritual dwelling. Where he gets all the glory. So that we're offering acceptable praises to him through Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And God's will is going to be done. That's what we see from this passage today. So we'll turn our attention to application. I've got three and a half application points. Really three and a quarter. I'm not kidding. There are three R's. Okay. Um, Rocks reject rejoice. Rocks reject rejoice. Those are pretty simple. You can remember those. Rocks reject rejoice. But I've got a, 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 a prologue. Which which is first? Prologue? Okay. I get them mixed up. Epilogue is after. Okay. So I got a little prologue application point here. And it's an R2 just so you can... Recorded. Okay. And all I want to say about that is God wrote all this down before he did it. It's written down. I mean, Peter gives us multiple Old Testament references this morning. 
So God didn't just blindly fly into a plan and say they're never going to understand it. God laid it out. Everything we celebrate at Advent and at Christmas, God announced that it was going to happen. Amos 3, 7 to 8, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So listen, the only reason I'm saying that is nobody can claim ignorance. The information's there. You may look at the information and reject it, but that's on you. Nobody is going to show up at the throne of God and say, well, I didn't know. Read Romans 1, Romans 2. It was recorded. God took meticulous care to record it. So that's, that's just that's prologue to the other R's. First R is rocks. And it's not Jesus rocks. No, he does, right? I shouldn't do that. That's, I don't know. Rocks. And I mean, from, from our passage today, it's easy to see what, what that application point is, right? Christ and us are being built into a household for God and for God's praise. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the living stone that was rejected by men. And listen, we are living stones as well. That God himself, God himself has chosen and is using to build a household where he will dwell forever and his praises will be proclaimed forever. You're like, I'm just, well, I'm just an old chunk of coal. Have you ever heard that song? But I'm going to be a diamond someday. John Anderson, look that one up. J-O-N Anderson, John Anderson. God chooses rocks and gives them life and makes something precious out of them. That's beautiful. That's what God does. And he's not just building a building or a structure. Listen, listen. this is not the house of God. This building is not the house of God. All those statements when you were little, don't run in the house of God. Look at your parents and say, this is not the house of God. I will stop running, but this is not the house of God. You have my permission to say that. I don't know if you should, but you have my permission to do it. This is a building where the household of God meets. We don't go to church. We are the church. The church assembles here. This is not, I hope it's not arrogant. My kids say, call this place the building. When do we need to be at the building today? They don't call this the church. We call this the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. When you have arthritis, you can't see all the people. <laughs> no, it's, it's wrong. It's biblically, doctrinally wrong. This is not the church. This is the steeple. That's fine. Open the building up and you see the church. Please know that. The church is the household of God and that's us. And believers from every era, every year, every decade, century, millennia, before us and after us. And God's going to bring all these people together and dwell with them forever. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you and that you is plural by the way? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Ephesians 2, 19-22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the saints, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Wow, we've heard that somewhere before. In whom... In this cornerstone, in Christ himself, in whom the whole structure, that's us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Hebrews 3, 5 to 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And then the end of all things, I said we'd get there. Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, the Apostle John says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the hope that we have ultimately. That God builds us up into a holy habitation where he dwells with us forever and we dwell with him forever. Offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. All these living stones joined together that God may dwell there. Oh man, that's good news. This ain't the house of God. So that's rocks. I hate this application point. It's reject. I hate it. You can reject Jesus. You can. And I hate that. You say, well, that's God's plan. Well, I hate it. Because if you do reject Jesus, you're going to be responsible for the consequences. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And those who stumble are broken, the scripture says. And not just temporarily broken, eternally broken, beyond repair. Acts 17, 30 to 31. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now, listen, he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That's the living stone. That's the cornerstone. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Listen, If you're hearing my voice, if you're hearing this message, you are commanded to repent. You are commanded to repent and believe and do the gospel. That's a command. And you can say no to that command. And many have and many will. As it is their destiny to do. You're like, well, if it's my destiny, it's not my fault. No, you're responsible. You're accountable. Romans 1, 18 to 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And if you go on with that chapter, what happens is God gives them over to exactly what they want, which is the absolute worst thing that God can do to us. Because naturally, in your flesh, you want sin. And the wages of sin is death. You you sound mad, preacher. I am mad. And I'm sad. Because you run the risk of spending eternity in hell. And you're responsible for making that choice. If you reject the cornerstone. And yes, that is on you. And that's not hateful. 
I am pleading with you. Obey the command to believe the gospel. Don't reject him. Rocks reject, finally rejoice. The opposite of rejecting is rejoicing. You can rejoice in what God has done to make you his own household. You can rejoice in the work of God to take a rock and to give it life and to join it with other living stones that he might make them into a holy habitation that he will dwell with for eternity where we will forever rejoice in the goodness of God. Giving him glory by our actions, our words, our thoughts. Sin is gone. Death is defeated. No more tears. No more crying. No more suffering. No more sickness. Just honor, praise, and glory to God for doing what God has done. That's what you get on the opposite side of rejecting. Don't reject. Rejoice in the work of God. Believe it. Obey it. You say, well, how can I do that? You got to admit you're a sinner. And sinners reject the cornerstone. You need forgiveness for your sins. And the only place that that forgiveness is received is through the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus Christ. Which is why we celebrate this every week to remind us. The body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for the forgiveness for your sins. Placing your faith in him and his finished work. The living stone. The cornerstone. And saying, I believe that what he did removes my sin debt from me and gives me right standing with God. And after you do that, you get to rejoice for all eternity. Even while you suffer and struggle here in this world. Ephesians 1, 3-6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise, rejoice, of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Jump to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise, rejoice, of his glory. In him you also, when you heard this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And finally, Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, that's not by accident, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out, rejoicing with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped, rejoiced in God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Rejoice, church. He has done it, he is doing it, and he will do it. And for all eternity, we're going to rejoice in him for what he's done. That's the good news of the gospel. This gospel which is proclaimed to you. Let's pray. Father, who can straighten what you have bent? Who can undo what you have done? Who can thwart what you have said you will do? And the answer is no one. We exult in your sovereignty, God. We worship you because you are almighty. You are omnipotent. You are omniscient. You are omnipresent. You are the great God with whom there is no comparison or contrast or equal. You alone are God. And you alone give salvation to dead stones. Dead rocks who become living stones as you breathe life into them. 
And Father, you take those living stones and you assemble them together and you are assembling them together and you will assemble them together into a household where you will dwell forever with your people, your household, the building that you are building. And we are that building. And we rejoice in what you have done in taking these rocks and making them living stones. And God, for those who would sit today and reject your command to be saved, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them life and light and understanding that they might repent instead of reject, that they might become rejoicers even this day. Help us all to live this out and to give you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but.